Daniel Kraft, uh, you are an unbelievable physician leader. Not only are you a visionary, but you're really helping people execute from where we are today with, I think, some blocking and tackling in terms of getting to the future that we can all create. Mm -hmm. uh, you're an incredible speaker and uh, author in the work you're doing with the Exponential University. So uh, I know you're in town for a talk, but uh, what are your thoughts about where that, since technology enables us to solve problems, mm -hmm. where do you think we are? We just heard about the data gap where do you think the industry is and what what are kind of the top three prescriptions that we need to do to uh, move forward to create our exponential future? Great question. I think you look around here and it's overwhelming the amount of ideas, people, technology, data, wearables, huge you know EMR booths upstairs. Um, and I think we're in a bit of a perfect storm of technology trying to mash up with healthcare and reboot it in a sense. But you know, in terms of prescriptions, I mean, one of them is that the technology is just one piece of it. Right. You can have the best tech, the greatest app, the greatest drug, but unless it gets to the patient in that last mile, it's a bit of a so what. And often it's not about the technology, it's the culture and the incentives, which are often pretty misaligned. Um, and in the US, there's so many healthcare systems, you can do things differently if it's a fee-for-service or a, a Geisinger or a Kaiser, right. even a VA. So I think one prescription is for any you know, new technology or startup or even larger entities that are innovating is to see where the map is. You know, Where's the unmet need? Who's going to pay for it? What's the culture of, let's say, the clinician or the nurse or the patient who may or may not even want to ever use this technology today in its current sort of silo? Um, so, so our first one is a map. So a map of like knowing knowing where the players are, what, what are their carrots and their sticks, um, how do you really fit in? Because you might have a best new widget, but it may not fit through the hospital room door. It's like a bad example, but you know some things are built um, not always in context. So technology well, needs to be in context with both the, the working environment, which might be different in a clinic versus a hospital, uh, versus an ER, and also with the alignment of the individual incentives for that clinician, patient, nurse. So that's prescription one. Prescription two would be you know, we're in this exponential age. I chair medicine at Singularity University and run this program, you know, of called Exponential Medicine. And, you know, what's happening in terms of data, tech, wearables, sensors, genomics, 3D printing is moving very quickly and people don't quite grasp what's going to be here. VR, for example, AR, in just a couple of years. So if you build something for today, you better have a map of what's going to be here in two years in terms of low-cost genomics or the power of, you know, what is it, the next uh, G5 network. Um, so you're building into the future, not sort of stuck in 2016. Correct. And I guess the third prescription would be uh, the most exciting innovations happen at the mashup of technologies uh, and unmet need. And so, you know, the you know, overused term about the Uber Uberfication of healthcare, some of them are in this uh, venue here, is, you know, Uber didn't invent the smartphone, GPS, online maps, online payment, limbers or cabs, they connected the dots. So some of the most powerful, I think, innovations come from not inventing technologies, but mashing them up in smart ways on that exponential trend. So I think the concept in, of Uberizing medicine doesn't apply in the macro level. However, when you look at specific market segments, and I'll give you an example, it absolutely does. So there's a company called Igbo that I came across. It's the Uber of phlebotomy. Sure. And so they'll send someone out to take a blood sample anywhere through a virtual network of qualified people. And so in that very specific app, then I think, Oh, so if we stop using Uber, if we look at specific market segments and say how does the Uberization or other approaches 
how can we reduce the middlemen? Because the biggest problem we have in healthcare, it's not necessarily that we pay doctors too much or hospitals too much, it's we have too many middle layers right. in there, 50% from doctor's office, overhead, health insurance plans, 50% of the healthcare dollars going to administration of some kind in the process. 30% or so, I think, and also we're still using fax machines to you know send claims in and all that overhead, you're absolutely right. So when I think about Uberization, I think it more of what does it match the need of transparency, ease, you know, the ease of payment, ease of seeing where your limo or taxi your car is coming from, rating the, the driver or the doctor or the nurse or the phlebotomist, getting rid of not only the middleman but that sort of friction layer, which Correct. is so confusing in healthcare. And I, if I get a medical bill and I'm a physician, I still have <laughs> trouble understanding what it means. And so, um, let alone still trying to make a doctor's appointment at Stanford, you know, where I'm based, still requires a phone call and pressing one and staying on hold. And so, I think. Um, I think Uberization is lowering the barriers and re reducing those cost levels. And the phlebotomy piece is a great example. That's one piece of a, we have so much need to do lab exams. So you need to bring a um, little lady to the, to, the, to the place to get the blood draw when you can bring it to her. Uh, and then when you connect the dots between all these sort of siloed Ubers, you can get a lot of efficiency and a lot more engagement. Right. Um, so how do organizations move forward? What are some of the key or ways to apply these principles you know, people think futurists, right, way out there, we're always right and we're always wrong, but there's that middle tier of one to five years. And I think one of the points you made earlier is you really have to have a sense of the technologies likely in the next five years and the rate of the adoption. So the real, like, how fast will people and what segment, not whether they're adopting, what segment's likely to adopt virtual reality as part of their lives, just like people of all ages now are adopting different types of apps on their mobile phones. Mm -hmm. So it's really getting down to some layer of, of specifics in that projection to figure out how to lay a foundation that's flexible for growth, right? Yeah, you want to, it's hard to say, but future-proof a little bit. If you're building a new hospital, like Packard Children's, where I train at Stanford, is already out of date 20 years later, and the walls don't let Wi-Fi move through, so or the piping might not have been there for high-speed uh, Ethernet when it was built 25 years ago. So if you're building a new um, clinic or ER or hospital or platform, you have to be a little bit mindful about what's coming. Let's say it's you know, containing your genomic data or other omics right. or your digital exhaust information, which is going to go up exponentially in terms of availability and lower cost. Maybe you need to build your data infrastructure to, to have hold room for omics, for example. Or um, if we know that we're at the you know, higher speed mobile phone networks, what are you going to be able to do in terms of porting, you know, full-on live streaming virtual reality as opposed to having it connected to a, a hard line today? I mean, those are small examples. Uh, but it's hard for people to see past their quarter to quarter. They're often incentivized not to think two or five years down at sort of what's going to be beneficial early. So I guess one, I mean, the, the healthcare leaders need to be having a bit of this exponential mindset and um, also being the early experimenters. It could be something as simple, you don't need to wait for Oculus Rift to, right. to be doing VR, you can get a Google Cardboard. That's already being used for doing medical simulation at low cost. Uh, I saw the Samsung VR gear with a pretty amazing you know, surgical uh, training where you'd go into different parts of a case. I mean, amazing things you could do with very low cost technologies today. Augmented reality is coming quickly. Yeah. I just saw a demo from a company called Meadows at the TED conference last week. And, and IL 411, Walgreens is, is piloting with a company called IL sure. 411. And the ability, I think, in five years, we're not going to have screens anymore. We're going to be throwing them away. You'll have this virtual screen right in front of you. You can move them around you, spin around. You'd have one screen over here, your patient data here, or you're in the operating room and, and you're the surgeon. You have your checklist, you have your CT scan data all around you. 
some of these are long, you know, HoloLens is already coming out. Um, there are others that that's going to transform our work lives, our uh, entertainment lives, and healthcare in powerful ways. We'll look back in, at a Google Glass and look, well, that looks so antique. Just like if you had to go and use a smartphone or an iPhone one from only eight years ago, and that's transformed the healthcare world uh, dramatically. So, so, so you have an annual meeting in a program, Exponential Medicine, mm -hmm. and it's, it's coming up in the fall, right? Sure. Can you tell us about Exponential Medicine and uh, and maybe that you use the term digital exhaust? So, right. Exponential Medicine and and how does it help people move forward in the future, both at the program and the conference? Sure. So I've been sharing medicine at Singularity University since it started in 2009. And I think we found at our smaller programs, executive programs, that everyone's interested in healthcare from the personal level or from the business level. So five years ago, we started Exponential Medicine to bring people out of their silos. You know, a lot of doc, I'm an oncologist, I'll go to ASH or ASCO. Right. Other folks, the cardiologists go to cardiology, I mean the pharma people go to pharma meetings. But it's rare that you blend clinicians and researchers and biotech folks and device and investors all That's in one place. So the, so the mission of exponential medicine is to get people out of their silos, mixing it up and seeing what's the cutting edge and where's the exponential puck going. So we're holding it this year, we're all sixth program, back at the Hotel Del Coronado in beautiful San Diego, October 8th through 11th. Exponentialmedicine.com has all the data, has talks from prior years. And what's unique about it is we give people a lens to what's the cutting edge of 3D printing, robotics, AI, nanotech, drones, uh, big data, omics, um, and where it is now and where things are coming and, and where the mashups happen. And it's been quite impactful. Companies have started there from medical tricorder companies like Scanadu to Centrain, which is doing sort of the internet of things, bring, bring, melding with big data. Uh, we get small companies, big companies, startups. A lot of sparks happen there because we mix it up not just with content, but breakouts, bonfires on the beach, silent disco. So you get people out of their usual headspace um, with time to sort of blend and mod. So um, it's been quite magical. It strikes me that a team from a health system should bring a cross-section of clinicians. Right. Because you're really great. And one of the biggest things that I've seen is that there's, there's so much talent in these organizations, but they're operating, I don't want to call them silos, but they're just doing what they do as cardiologists or mm -hmm physical therapists, and, and bringing them together helps figure out how to create solutions and support patients across the continuum before and after sure. and during their whole life. And cross-training, you know, something that's being applied in sort of um, cardiology, like now there's sort of virtual angiographies could be applied to other clinical fields, or you might see a big data application from one company uh, applied in radiology that could be applied to pathology, another area of uh, machine learning. We're going to see disruption occur in terms of the sort of fields of uh, radiology, dermatology, uh, pathology, which are very sort of pattern-based. So um, what we like to do at Exponential Medicine is open people's eyes to what's already here, let them cross-fertilize with folks already doing innovation so they can learn and, and, and amplify and get to the future faster and smarter and not reinventing the wheel. Uh, and it's, it's hard to get that exponential mindset because our brains are so wired in a linear fashion. So Daniel Kraft, uh, leading physician in helping cross and break down silos and figure out new solutions, William Gibson, who coined the term cyberspace, said the future's already arrived, it's just not evenly distributed. What's your closing words of wisdom for our audience, health system executives, health plan executives, uh, in navigating and really inventing the future? Love that quote. You know, there are things in my pocket that are, are here but not distributed, and I would argue that the, the healthcare executives of the world should be the ones sort of, again, not predicting future, but inventing it and creating it by being somewhat early adopters. You don't need to distribute it across your whole hospital system, but you might have a clinic that could use a connected blood pressure cuff. Those have been existing for right. years to improve outcomes. And it doesn't need to be all through pilots, but 
you know, see what's out there, start to integrate it in with your healthcare uh, teams. It's not just the clinicians, it's the nurses, it's the, the engaged patients. It's becoming a, a data donor, uh, unlocking some of those silos to share information and crowdsource it so that we can get to the, the, the future in a smarter, more efficient way. All right, one last question. Most promising tech that people need to think about? I think this is the year of starting to connect the dots and part of that is through the exponentials of of big data and machine learning. Um, companies like Jeremy Howard's and Lytic and the word exponential medicine are now able to take existing radiology scans or pathology scans, use machine learning to figure out that is a small cell lung cancer, bad image. Um, the ability now to have so much data come in in a digital form and now start to make sense of it using machine learning is going to be hugely impactful and I think people underestimate its power and now we're blending that with AI, robotics, um, and it's going to change the way we practice healthcare, from how we work up patients to how we do therapy to how we run clinical trials to how you staff your hospitals, um, and we'll start connecting the dots for us. So that's, I think, one area that people need to be Great. really aware of. Thank you for coming. This is Health Innovation Media, broadcasting live from the Conversa booth, 11334, and we just had Daniel Kraft in our open-air studio, uh, inventing the future. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks, and come check us out at exponentialmedicine.com. you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.